Section 10 of The Iron Horse. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Iron Horse by Robert Michael Ballantyne. Section 10 Mrs. Marrett and Bob Visit the Great Clatterby Works, Part 2. But Mrs. Marrett and Bob paid no attention to him. They were fascinated by the doings of the big hammer, and especially by the cool, quiet way in which the man with the lever caused it to obey his will. When he moved the lever up or down a little, up or down went the hammer a little. When he moved it a good deal, the hammer moved a good deal. When he was gentle, the hammer was gentle. When he gave a violent push, the hammer came down with a crash that shook the whole place. He could cause it to plunge like lightning to within a hair's breadth of the anvil and check it instantaneously so that it should not touch. He could make it pat the red metal lovingly or pound it with the violence of a fiend. Indeed, so quick and sympathetic were all the movements of that steam hammer that it seemed as though it were gifted with intelligence and were nervously solicitous to act in prompt obedience to its master's will there were eleven steam hammers of various sizes in this building with a staff of a hundred and seventy-five men to attend to them half of which staff worked during the day and half during the night besides seven smaller steam hammers in the smith's shops and other departments with difficulty will garvey tore his friends away from the big hammer but he could not again chain their attention to anything else until he came to the pair of scissors that cut iron with this instrument mrs marrot at first expressed herself disappointed it was not like a pair of scissors at all she said and in this she was correct for the square clumsy-looking blunt-like mass of iron about five feet high and broad which composed a large portion of it was indeed very unlike a pair of scissors why mother exclaimed bob you didn't surely expect to see two large holes in it for a giant's thumb and fingers did you well but said mrs marrot it ain't got no blades that i can see i'll let ee see em missus in a minute said a workman who came up at that moment with a plate of iron more than a quarter of an inch thick turn it on johnny a small boy turned on the steam the machine moved and will garvey pointed out to mrs marrot the fact that two sharp edges of steel in a certain part of it crossed each other exactly in the manner of a pair of scissors well remarked mrs m after contemplating it for some time it don't look very like scissors but i'm free to confess that them two bits of iron do act much in the same way and with the same result missus observed the machine man putting the plate between the clippers which closing quietly snipped off about a foot of iron as if it had been paper there was however a crunching sound which indicated great power and drew from mrs marrot an exclamation of surprise not altogether unmingled with alarm the man then seized a bit of iron about as thick as his own wrist full an inch and a half in diameter which the scissors cut up into lengths of eighteen inches or so as easily as if it had been a bar of lead or wood didn't i say it could cut through the poker mother cried bob with a look of triumph the poker boy it could cut poker tong shovel and fender all at once replied mrs marrot well i never 
can it do anything else in reply to this the man took up several pieces of hard steel which it snipped through as easily as it had cut the iron but if mrs marrot's surprise at the scissors was great not less great was it at the punching machine which punched little buttons the size of a sixpence out of cold iron full half an inch thick this vicious implement not only punched holes all round boiler plates so as to permit of their being riveted together but it cut patterns out of thick iron plate by punching rows of holes so close to each other that they formed one long cutting straight or crooked as might be required in short the punching machine acted the part of a saw and cut the iron plates in any shape that was desired here also they saw the testing of engine springs those springs which to most people appear to have no spring in them whatever so very powerful are they one of these was laid on an iron table with its two ends resting against an iron plate a man approached and measured it exactly then a hydraulic ram was applied and there was something quite impressive in the easy quiet way in which the ram shoved a spring which the weight of a locomotive can scarcely affect quite flat against the iron plate and held it there a moment or two being released the spring resumed its proper form and was then remeasured found not to have expanded a hair's breadth and therefore as will garvey took care to explain was passed as a sound well-tempered spring whereat bob remarked that it would need to be a good-tempered spring to suffer such treatment without grumbling it seemed to mrs marrot now as if her capacity for surprise had reached its limit but she little knew the wealth of capacity for creating surprise that lay in these amazing works of the grand national trunk railway the next place she was ushered into was a vast apartment where iron in every shape size and form was being planed and turned and cut the ceiling of the building or rather the place where a ceiling ought in ordinary circumstances to have been was alive with moving bands and whirling wheels the first thing she was called on to contemplate was the turning of the tire or rim of one of the driving wheels of a locomotive often had mrs marrot heard her husband talk of tires and driving wheels and many a time had she seen these wheels whirling half concealed in their appropriate places but never till that day had she seen the iron hoop eight feet in diameter elevated in bare simplicity on a turning lathe where its size impressed her so much that she declared she never could have imagined engine wheels were so big and asked how did they ever manage to get em lifted up to where they was to which an overseer kindly replied by pointing out a neat little crane fitted on a tail which when required rang along the apartment like a strong obedient little domestic servant lifting wheels etc that a man could scarcely move and placing them wherever they were wanted mrs marrot was then directed to observe the rim of the wheel where she saw a small chisel cutting iron curls off it just as easily to all appearance as a turner cuts shavings off wood and these iron curls were not delicate they were thick solid unpliant ringlets that would have formed a suitable decoration for the fair brow of a locomotive or perhaps a chignon supposing that any locomotive could have been prevailed on to adopt such a wild monstrosity this same species of chisel 
applied in different ways reduced masses of iron in size planed down flat surfaces enlarged holes made cylinders true and smooth inside besides doing a variety of other things after seeing the large tire turned mrs marrot could not be induced to pay much regard to the various carriage and truck wheels which were being treated in a similar manner in that department but she was induced to open her ears and her eyes too when the overseer informed her that the works turned out complete no fewer than one hundred and thirty pairs of locomotive carriage and wagon wheels a week how many did you say she asked a hundred and thirty pair of wheels in a week repeated the overseer every week asked mrs marrot yes every week sometimes more sometimes less but altogether pretty well on for six thousand pairs of wheels every year why what do you make of em all oh we make good use of em replied the overseer laughing we wear them out so fast that it keeps us working at that rate to meet our necessities but that he continued is only a small part of what we do we turn out of the works a hundred and fifty-six first-class carriages besides many seconds and thirds and about one thousand five hundred and sixty trucks every year besides three engines new and complete every fortnight three new engines every fortnight echoed mrs marrot how many is that in a year bob seventy-eight said bob promptly bob was a swift mental calculator and rather proud of it wherever do they all go to murmured mrs marrot why replied will garvie they go to all the stations on the line of course some of em go to smash at once in case of accidents and all of em goes to destruction more or less in about fifteen or twenty years we reckon that to be the life of a locomotive see there's a driving axle such as you saw forged by the big hammer being turned now and cut to shape and size by the same sort of machine that you saw cutting the tires they passed on after looking at the axle for a few minutes until they came to a part of the building where rails were being forged this also although not done by hammer was a striking process the place was so hot owing to the quantity of uncooled metal on the floor that it was not possible to remain long they therefore took a rapid survey in one place several men were in the act of conveying to the steam hammer a mass of shapeless white-hot iron which had just been plucked from a furnace with a pair of grippers they put it below the hammer for a few minutes which soon reduced it to a clumsy bar then they carried it to a pair of iron rollers driven by steam the end of the bar being presented to these it was gripped dragged in between them and passed out at the other side flat and very much lengthened as well as thinned having been further reduced by this process it was finally passed through a pair of rollers which gave it shape and sent it out a complete rail ready to be laid down on the line here garvie took occasion to explain that steel rails although very expensive were now being extensively used in preference to iron rails because they lasted much longer for instance he said steel costs about twelve pounds a ton and iron only costs about seven pounds but then you see steel rails will last two years and more whereas iron rails get wore out and have to be renewed every six weeks in places where there's much traffic now i can't stand no more o this said mrs marrot down whose face the perspiration was streaming 
I'm almost roasted alive and don't understand your explanations one bit Willem so come along Oh mother do hold on a moment pleaded Bob whose mechanical soul was in a species of paradise You'd better come Bob interposed Garvie else. We won't have time to see the department where the engines are fitted This was sufficient for Bob who willingly followed the fitting shed at that time contained several engines in various stages of advancement in one place men were engaged in fitting together the iron framework or foundation of a locomotive with screws and bolts and nuts and rivets others were employed near them on an engine more advanced in putting on the wheels and placing the boilers and fireboxes while another gang were busy covering the boiler of a third engine with a coating of wood and felt literally for the purposes of keeping it warm or preventing its heat from escaping farther on three beautiful new engines that had just been made and stood ready for action were receiving a few finishing touches from the painters fresh spotless and glittering these were to make their debut on the morrow and commence their comparatively brief career of furious activity gay things doomed emphatically to a fast life Beyond these young creatures lay a number of aged and crippled engines all more or less disabled and sent there for repair One to have a burst steam pipe removed and replaced another to have a wheel or a firebox or a cylinder changed and One that looked as if it had recently run amuck against all the other engines on the line stood sulkily grim in a corner evidently awaiting its sentence of condemnation the usual fate of such engines being to be torn bored battered chiselled clipped and otherwise cut to pieces and cast into the furnaces While gazing round this apartment mrs. Marrett's eyes suddenly became transfixed What's the matter now demanded Bob in some alarm? I do believe Why there's the locomotive in the air said mrs. Marrett in an undertone so it is exclaimed Bob and reader so it was in that shed they had a crane which rested on a framework overhead and ran on wheels over the entire shop it was capable of lifting above 50 tons weight and as a large locomotive ponderous though it be is not much over 20 tons of course this giant crane made short work of such when the men have occasion to remove a wheel from the iron horse not being able to make it lift up its legs so to speak to have it taken off they bring it under the crane swing it up as a little boy might swing a toy cart and operate on it at their leisure mrs marrot felt an unpleasant sensation on beholding this as the wife of an engine driver she had long felt the deepest respect almost amounting to reverence for locomotives in regard to the weight speed and irresistible power of which she had always entertained the most exalted ideas to see one of the race and that too of the largest size treated in this humiliating fashion was too much for her she declared that she had seen enough of the works and wouldn't on any account remain another minute but you won't go without seeing the carriage and truck department surely said bob well i'll just take a look to please you said the amiable woman Accordingly to the truck and van department they went and there Bob whose mind was sharp as a needle Saw a good many pieces of mechanism which formerly he had only seen in a transition state now applied to their ultimate uses 
the chiselled sawn and drilled planks seen in the first department were here being fitted and bolted together in the form of trucks while the uses of many strange pieces of iron which had puzzled him in the blacksmith's department became obvious when fitted to their appropriate woodwork here also he saw the internal machinery of railway carriages laid bare especially the position and shape of the springs that gave elasticity to the buffers which he observed were just the same in shape as ordinary carriage springs placed so that the ends of the buffer rods pressed against them but all this afforded no gratification to mrs marrot whose sensitive mind dwelt uneasily on the humiliated locomotive until she suddenly came on a row of new first-class carriages where a number of people were employed stuffing cushions well i declare she exclaimed if here ain't cushion stuffing going on i expect we shall come to coat and shift making for porters and guards next no we haven't got quite that length yet laughed will garvie but if you look along you'll see gilding and glazing and painting going on at that first-class carriage still farther along in the direction we're going is the infirmary the infirmary willem ay the place where old and damaged trucks and carriages are sent for repair they're all in a bad way you see much in need of the doctor's services this was true looking at some of these unfortunates with crushed in planks twisted buffers and general dismemberment it seemed a wonder that they had been able to perform their last journey or crawl to the hospital some of the trucks especially might have been almost said to look diseased they were so dirty while at the corners where address cards were wont to be affixed they appeared to have broken out in a sort of smallpox eruption of iron tackets at last mrs marrot left the works declaring that her brain was whirling worser than was the wheels and machinery they had just left while bob asseverated stoutly that his appetite for the stupendous had only been wetted in this frame of mind the former went home to nurse her husband and the latter was handed over to his future master the locomotive superintendent of the line reader it is worth your while to visit such works to learn what can be done by the men whom you are accustomed to see only while trooping home at meal hours with dirty garments and begrimed hands and faces to see the grandeur as well as the delicacy of their operations while thus laboring amongst din and dust and fire to provide you with safe and luxurious locomotion we cannot indeed introduce you to the particular works we have described but if you would see something similar hie thee to the works of our great arterial railways to those of the london and northwestern at crewe the great western at swindon the southeastern at ashford the great northern at doncaster the north british at cowlairs the caledonian at glasgow or any of the many others that exist throughout the kingdom for in each and all you will see with more or less modification exactly the same amazing sights that were witnessed by worthy mrs marrot and her hopeful son bob on that never-to-be-forgotten day when they visited the pre-eminently great clatterby works of the grand national trunk railway note the foregoing description is founded on visits paid to the locomotive works of the great western at swindon and those of the north british near glasgow to the general managers and superintendents of both which railways 
we are indebted for much valuable information rm ballantine end note end of section 10